Support for today's show comes from OneSkin, who I've got to say converted me to being a subscribed user. Now, if you're ready for warmer, sunnier days, that's great, but is your skin ready? See, your skin goes through a big transition between seasons, not just on the surface, but at the cellular level. That's why it's important to nurture it from the inside out with products that do more than just protect it against the sun's UV rays. Treating the symptoms rather than the root causes of aging has long been the norm. Most skin care available on the market is designed to provide a temporary reduction in the visible signs of aging, addressing just the surface symptoms of an underlying decline in skin health. OneSkin's products are powered by their scientifically proven peptide called OS1. This peptide reduces the accumulation of damaged aging cells, the cells that make your skin less resilient and more prone to lines and wrinkles. Instead of masking these issues, OneSkin addresses them at the cellular level, boosting your skin's natural barrier to lock in moisture and help protect against the elements. They have a full line of face and body products, including OSO1 Shield, an SPF that prevents UV-induced aging and repairs cellular aging all at once. I made the switch. It's official. I signed up for recurring deliveries of OneSkin. I'm going to get it every three months. Um, but I was really stupid about it. Don't be like me. I didn't use our code to start getting OneSkin delivered to my door. But I can say I'm very happy with my skin, very happy with how easy the OneSkin routine is. And I have to say that if you're interested in OneSkin, if you're looking to make a switch, you should use our codes because it is definitely going to make a difference. And I think you're really going to love this product. For a limited time, our listeners will get an extra 15% off OneSkin products using the code MANNERS. That's M-A-N-N-E-R-S when you check out at oneskin.co. Again, that is 15% off when you go to oneskin, O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O and use the code MANNERS, M-A-N-N-E-R-S at checkout. No matter the season, keep your skin looking and feeling healthy with OneSkin. I do. And now back to our show. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on offering people coffee at a nonprofit, improving a sloppy signature, cashing in on old agreements, and returning unexpected gifts. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about talking to a roommate who eats all your food. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript from our new book on the practice of good etiquette. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Boy, Dan, did we mess up a little something during this run of pre-recording shows for for Chris to go on on a wonderful and awesome vacation, which he is now back from. What did we we do? We forgot to actually, for the week that our book was coming out, record an announcement on the podcast that the book was now out and live and available. (laughs) Oh, 
We missed our own launch to one of our biggest audiences. I'm, I'm glad that we've promoted the book so much on the podcast and, and, and kind of pull, as you often say, pull back the curtain to see the creation of it and everything. But boy, did I have a like palm to face moment. Like, please, someone put a bag over my head that I completely missed us trying to create an intro that like announced how excited we are that the book launched. <laughs> and I can so feel that palm to face moment for sure. <laughs> And the first thought that came to my mind when you said we missed the the announcement the of the week. launch of the book with the podcast audience, I thought to myself, except that our podcast audience has been so kindly listening to us <laughs> talk about this book for two years. Two years, I know. <laughs> that I am sure that our very dedicated and awesome, awesome etiquette audience was probably pretty aware. And I'm imagining, <laughs> and in fact, I'm knowing because we've been spending a lot of time sitting at Bridgeside Books signing books that a, a good portion of our audience have have ordered their books already. So thank you so much for that, if you're <laughs> part of that crowd. Truly, thank you. We are so excited that this book is out and getting into the hands of all of you. It has been so fun signing those books at Bridgeside. First of all, small small business. We love the women that run it. It is just so wonderful to go there each week and sign I'm books. I'm so glad you like visiting that bookstore because I, I love that bookstore it's part of our community here they play a, they just do an awesome job and they are nice people and i'm loving that you're loving hanging out there oh my gosh i like can't get enough i keep buying things from them each time i go i'm like buying note cards i'm buying uh books i bought my mom my her christmas present already like i mean i just like can't get enough <laughs> oh don't worry she doesn't listen to podcasts but it's 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 really fun going up there, and it's also really, really fun to recognize some of the names or to see some of the really sweet messages that people will write in the comments, just like, hey, I'm an Awesome Etiquette listener, thanks, or hey, my wife is an Awesome Etiquette listener, this is for her birthday, things like that. It's been really cool to get a little bit more of that personal touch with our Awesome Etiquette audience. So thank you all for supporting Bridgeside Books, for supporting us and the Emily Post Institute, and getting your signed copies, or even just your regular copies, uh, through this wonderful, wonderful local retailer. It has been so awesome. And I know that we are actually going to do a live event at the bookstore. December 1st. There you go. December 1st. We'll definitely be bringing you guys more details about that for those who are in the Vermont area or maybe thinking of coming up for a little holiday trek to lovely Waterbury Stowe area of Vermont. It's a great time of year to visit that area. Maybe you can catch us at Bridgeside Books on the 1st. But Dan... There's so much to talk about. I was actually going to kind of prep our audience for a slightly longer intro today because, oh, we've been busy since this book came out. We had our... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I had such a similar thought. If, if yeah. I had ended up going first today, I would have said something like, can we just have the whole show be an intro? Because we could just yeah. sit and talk for a while today. And <laughs> we promise we won't do that. We will get to some questions. But you're right, Lizzie. A lot has been going on and we've been away from the mic for three weeks now. So... Let's Where, should we start with the just first? a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Tuxedo Park. Oh my goodness. We got the chance to go do our first book event at Tuxedo Park. This is uh the the village that Emily's father designed and built, the the place where Emily grew up. She wasn't born there, she was born in Baltimore, but as a young child, she spent all of her formative years in Tuxedo. It held such a special place in her heart. We got to visit the house she grew up in, her father's house. We got to meet so many wonderful people, and it is the most beautiful 
beautiful place. I mean, tucked into the hills outside of New York. And um, it's this uh, lake that's a, a reservoir, so you can't swim in it. And all the boats, I think, are electric. Am I right in that, Dan? So it doesn't do anything to the water. But That was we, our experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but we got to we got to drive a boat out into the lake. We got to uh, enjoy their wonderful, wonderful dining room. And the people, I just could not believe how welcoming everyone. I, I felt like I was being welcomed home to a place I had never been before. It was truly incredible. The hospitality was just off the charts. That's the feeling that really stuck with me the most was mm-hmm. the the warmth in the room where we actually did the the, the talk, where we, mm-hmm. we got to talk about the book and people came. We had lunch together. But that audience of 75 people – didn't feel like a big audience to me. It felt like close family and friends. It felt intimate. And I think that was in large part due to the feeling of closeness that that people there have to their their history in that community and the role Mm -hmm. that Emily played in it. And it did. It felt like a homecoming for the Post family in some ways. It was really, really nice. So thank you to anyone from Tuxedo Park who happens to be (laughs) listening to this. We had such a good time visiting visiting you. Katie Gartner did an amazing job putting together this event. It was really special, really spectacular. I will say, hands down, it was the best meal I've eaten in well over three years. I that okay we, for a, a yeah. club chef, absolutely. <laughs> it was unbelievable. We had this. It was like a, a cauliflower puree soup, and and it had wonderful like roasted nuts and flowers little sweet and bites, little yes. caramelized oh roasted nut God, bites. Like it was just. And the roasted flavor really came out of things. And then, then they served, you know, that Katie had told me that we were going to do like a steak Caesar salad. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I'm thinking like normal steak Caesar salad. This was like the most incredible steak Caesar salad I've ever had in my life. It was like filet mignon and the flavor was unbelievable. And there were all these other things in the Caesar that made it incredible and elevated. Can't even remember them now, but they were just, this meal was out of this world to me. I was so excited about that. And then I was so hungry and nervous, I could barely eat it, but it was so tasty. I ate most of it anyway, which almost never happens. And then we got to go up on stage and be interviewed by Katie Rossman. And that was wonderful. And the audience was just so engaged. And I felt like we got a chance to share so much about the book. It was truly, truly a spectacular event that we, we will never forget. And so a huge thank you to Katie and her team at Tuxedo Park, who put together just such an incredible, incredible event for us. I I swear that my thank yous will be endless on this one. (laughs) Well, and that was just the start, Lizzie Post. Where where did you go next? (laughs) So almost got Dan with me on this one, guys, but this dreaded flu and cold that has been going around that's like COVID, not COVID. It unfortunately hit Dan's family the week that we were all headed down to Martha's Vineyard for the Martha's Vineyard Museum event. I was really excited about this event because Martha's Vineyard has such a special place in Emily's heart. It was kind of the place she used to replace Tuxedo. She needed to sort of move on from it. She wanted the younger generations to to really be the, the stars of the place. And so uh, she let that happen. And she, she sold her properties in Tuxedo. And uh, through Catherine Collier, ended up falling in love with Martha's Vineyard and bought a house there. And that's a special history, especially for those of you who know Emily's history. But at the same time, just 
getting to share Emily with an audience that loves the island as much as she does was really, really special. They got it. Like, you know what I mean? They understood her perspective on the house and on the space and on wanting to spend time there. I also found it incredibly cool. Martha's Vineyard has a native people's population and they did the thing that we most recently learned about and talked about, which is to honor native peoples first whenever you have an event that's occurring on on a native land, on, on tribal land. And so that was really cool to see that in action and to hear it done so well. I really want to commend the Martha's Vineyard Museum for adopting that practice and for, well, I don't want to commend them for letting me see it, but I really appreciated getting to see that in action in a way that, that, that felt honorable. And so that was, that was really cool. But it was great. We had family and friends. I will tell you, very, very nerve-wracking to present in front of three members of the fourth generation of our family. But I, I told you this, Dan, after the event, but your mom had some really kind words about how you and I have crafted our version of Emily Post and delivering the story and things like that. And she said it it was really fun to see her niece who she had seen start at 24 years old at the Institute now be almost 40. I am 40 now. And, um, and be able to see the change in me as a presenter, as someone who works with this material and represents this material. And that meant the world to me. It was just the nicest compliment. And I I think that that will hold a really special place in my heart for forever. And so I was really grateful that your mom took the time and took kind of a special moment to tell me her thoughts. But the event, it was wonderful. It was so much fun to be down there. And and the audience was really engaged. They asked some fabulous questions afterwards. Um, and I even got to hang out with audience member and friend, Wendy, who came to the event. So that was, that was really exciting. And one of our Train the Trainer uh, graduates, Tanya, showed up as well. So that was also really incredible to get to see her in person after like, oh my gosh, like a long time time. I don't even remember the year that she trained, but it was a long time ago. It was like at the start of our trainings. So that was awesome. It was just really, really awesome event. I wish you could have been there, but I also really wanted you to feel confident staying home, taking care of your family, being the, the good dad support that you are. <laughs> well, and and I want to thank you for that. And I also don't want to take too much time doing it because I want to hear about the next event that you Selma found yourself Gundy. at. <laughs> so the Salma Gundy Club is a, a uh, club for artists in New York City. And I believe it's the oldest club for artists. And it's really cool when you go in, they have all these portraits and all this work that's done by the artists of the club. And there's this amazing library in it that I actually am very excited to go back to and explore on my next trip to New York City. They also have all these palettes. So they they would collect palettes of artists and things like that. So you get to see like all the messy paint or the tones and the colors. And that was really cool. But the event was hosted by Carl uh, Raymond of the Gilded Gentleman podcast. And many of you have heard us uh, talk about Carl before. And he used to work at HarperCollins and had been partnered up to work on the brand of Emily Post at the publisher. And so that was really cool to get that connection back up and going. He no longer is with HarperCollins, but he does these amazing gilded tours. And he actually took me out to go see Emily's house, which I had never been to in New York City. It was a brownstone. It's either number 12 on 10th Street or it's number 10 on 12th Street. And I think it's the latter. But um, but it was really cool to kind of like 
stand on a part of the street that she stood on. And even though I'd been to Tuxedo and Martha's Vineyard at this point, which she had clearly been to too, it was another moment of feeling really connected to her. And the audience was fantastic. They had really great questions. Carl did a fabulous job interviewing. It was really fun. It was kind of like a continuation of the podcast that he and I did together, which those of you who are sticklers, I got some facts wrong in that podcast. I'm going to admit it. Um, I got a little confused over how close the the death dates of Emily's family were. But outside, outside of that, it was a good interview. <laughs> but um, I just loved being at that club. We had just so many great people there. And if, if you do get the chance to visit, it's a really incredible place in New York City. Listening to you describe it, it sounds like a little circuit of places that Emily Post, I think, would have been happy to run into her great-great-granddaughter. And that makes me as as happy as anything about the launch of this book. <laughs> well, it was it was a really great time. And I know that we've gone way long on this intro. So I want to say thank you to everyone for, for listening. Thank you to everybody who has showed up at some of these events. And um, we look forward to hopefully being able to have more events and see you at them. <laughs> Next stops, Florida, D.C., Vermont, <laughs> yep. more to come. We will keep you, you got it. posted. <laughs> <laughs> ha ha ha. In the meantime, Dan, I think it's probably time that we get to some questions. <laughs> I think it's time we do. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from Honey Love. Ladies, I have a New Year's resolution for you that's actually easy to keep. This is the year to finally stop wearing uncomfortable bras. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game, so you no longer have to deal with uncomfortable underwire without sacrificing support. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. Their bras are so comfortable, you won't want to take it off. For a limited time only, you can get Honey Love on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com slash manners with an S at the end. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash manners. Are you tired of bras that cause bulging in the back? Honey Love's bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent bra bulge. But it doesn't stop there. Honey Love has more than just bras. They have incredibly comfortable shapewear tanks and leggings for everyday support. Honey Love is just as easy to put on as it is to take off. Shapewear shouldn't be hard. Their products make you look good and feel good. Whether it's for a wedding, event, or an everyday boost of confidence, Honey Love is the perfect plus one. I'm really excited to try Honey Love, and I hope you are too. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash manners. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash manners, M-A-N-N-E-R-S. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them that we sent you. Start the new year with confidence. Thanks to Honey Love. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled Costly Coffee. 
Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question about welcoming people to meet with me at the nonprofit where I work. In our center, we provide free tea and instant coffee for guests. There is also a separate coffee machine, which makes lattes, cappuccinos, etc., which you have to pay for. When I welcome people who have come to meet with me at the center, I like to offer them a hot drink. I wish I could treat everybody who came to meet with me to a better quality paid-for coffee, but my budget just doesn't stretch to that, and as a nonprofit, we cannot incur the cost of these coffees. Do you have a sample script for how I could let people know that I can offer them a cheap instant coffee while making them aware that there is nicer coffee available, but that they would have to pay for it themselves? For someone who has made the effort to come and meet with me, it seems awkward and clunky to welcome them by highlighting that they have to pay if they want to have a nice coffee. Yet, I also don't want them to miss out by not drawing their attention to the machine if they would have preferred to have a better quality coffee. For context, the people I'm meeting are a combination of beneficiaries of the service, interview candidates, and prospective funders. Though I wouldn't feel comfortable taking a bespoke approach to different groups of people for what it's worth. Please help me to be as hospitable as possible, whilst also not breaking the bank. Thank you, Rebecca. Oh, Dan, this question was made for you. It kind of is just a little bit because, oh, coffee, how I love thee. Dan Dan has poems written to coffee, I swear. He sings it, <laughs> praises it in his head. Well, and I didn't drink coffee until like well into my adult life. And mm-hmm. then I got seduced by the incredible mochas at the Sumcrest Bakery. Shout out to Claremont, <laughs> California. And their incredible mochas. I have yet to find their equal. And... Then it became a a quest to find mochas that were as good as that mocha. Still haven't found one. Mm-hmm. And little by little, the cost of that quest pushed me into um, more standard coffee. So I so appreciate the cost being prohibitive when it comes to totally. thinking about macchiatos and cappuccinos and mocha this is and all of the delicious possibilities that there are in the world of coffee. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get too hung up on what you can't do. Mm -hmm. What I love about this question is that there's some really intentional thinking about how to be an excellent host here and how to be an excellent host for everybody that walks through the door. And I think the best way to do that is to really keep the focus on what you can do and what you can offer as a host. And sometimes that requires drawing some boundaries and being clear about things. But I think in this particular case, if you really keep the focus on can I offer you something to drink? I have water, tea, or instant coffee. If you have to acknowledge that it's instant or coffee that I can serve black or with milk and sugar. I think that kind of offer fulfills a lot of your roles and responsibilities as a host. And in fact, even goes a little bit beyond what some people might expect in a a business situation Mm -hmm. where oftentimes people forget the little hosting niceties that can make a meeting or an experience at someone's place of work feel so much more comfortable and personal. Dan, I was definitely thinking of you when I heard this question. And I was thinking of you because you are someone who might perk up at the mention of that there's another coffee option for someone to engage with other than like, you know, a a coffee pot or an instant coffee type thing. 
And it made me want to try out a little sample language and to see if this could work. Because I think that this can be as simple as just informing people of their options. You're not trying to upsell them. You're not trying to downplay what you do have, but just kind of putting out there the array of options. And so I wondered if kind of having a clear but pleasant I have tea and regular coffee that I can offer here, or if you want to, in XYZ space, like over there, we, you know, there's a coffee cart, you can purchase cappuccinos, espressos, or the like. And I figure that might be a way where you can kind of let them know what you can offer, but there's this other option. I feel like when I've been to New York City, and some of the companies I meet with are in you know, buildings that have all kind, you know, just so many different companies within them. And that first floor often has things like, you know, a, a couple of little shops where you could get sandwiches or coffees or teas, things like yeah. that, that I've been offered things like before we go up the escalator and then into the elevators, you know, I've got tea and coffee upstairs, but if you'd like something from the cart down here, these are available for purchase. And it just lets me know, ah, I would I would have to purchase these. Good to know, like informative. And also there's another option waiting for me upstairs if I'm not someone who's particularly into the cappuccinos, espressos, macchiatos, that kind of thing. I really like it. And I like that you took a crack with the sample scripts because I was having a hard time with it. Mm. I, I was having a hard time drawing the distinction without highlighting the that part. you have to pay for this. <laughs> yeah. that, that, you know, there's a tier two set of options that I can give you and you would be expected to pay for these <laughs> things. But I love that you can purchase framing. I think that's great language. Okay. And it, it's it's just passive enough. It's it's essentially letting someone know the lay of the land in your space. That and was my goal. Okay, good. Sorry. I'm glad, you, I know, I'm like really glad that came across because I like that lay of the land description of it. But I think it, it, it honors what I was really wanting to focus on with a sample script that doesn't give that information, which is that, I'm I'm also offering you something. I'm interested in, I plan on, I I am offering you tea or regular coffee or however you you need to describe that to be clear about what it is. If it's not drip coffee, I think acknowledging instant is probably a good idea. Uh, yeah, actually that's a really good point especially for a coffee lover like you. You you might want to know the difference between the two options you're being offered. <laughs> But you're really keeping the focus on that offer, but also letting someone know if you prefer something else, there is this available for purchase. And again, that that can purchase, available for purchase, I think is um, really spot on sample script language, Lizzie Post, as usual. (laughs) Been on the road, but I haven't lost my touch. (laughs) Rebecca, there you go. Thank you so much for the question. I am sure that your guests, whether they are your funders or beneficiaries of your service, are well taken care of when they come to meet with you. We hope that our answer helps you feel confident about that in the future. Is this coffee? Well, no. This is coffee. Awesome Etiquette gets support from Modern Mammals. I am really enjoying our new sponsor, Modern Mammals Hair Product, and I'm going to give you the promo code right off the bat. Go to modernmammals.com and use the code MANNERS, M-A-N-N-E-R-S, for 10% off. Modern Mammals makes hair products for men, although I'm telling you, Pooja loves them maybe more than I do. 
I tried their men's hair rinse called Magic Mud. It's a lightly cleansing, heavily moisturizing wash. Take note, listeners, it doesn't suds up like shampoo, so it doesn't dry your hair and scalp out. Really nice when you're wearing winter hats all the time. That means no more poofy, frizzy, limp hair. It also means your scalp better regulates its own natural oils, which is much healthier in the long run. Modern mammals' goal is to try and keep your hair and head natural. This means they don't distort your pH balance and natural oils like a shampoo would. This stuff is really nice. It works. I really like having it in my shower as an option. I mix it in about every second or third go, and it is really, really nice in your hair. Imagine getting date night hair whenever you wanted. It's much lower effort, but your hair is going to consistently look much better. Modern Mammals doesn't just say that. They have hundreds of customer reviews saying it and me saying it too. Check them out today. Go to ModernMammals.com and use the code MANNERS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with the promo code MANNERS. Don't forget to use our promo code MANNERS so they know that we sent you. And now, back to our show. Our next question has a kind of scary title, Sloppy Signatures. I got worried. I got worried that maybe someone was going to ask about our sloppy signatures, but that's not the case. (laughs) Quite the opposite. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My signed edition of the 2022 edition of Etiquette was just hand-delivered to me by my mail carrier, who I should give an etiquette salute to because it was raining and she was not going to try to cram the box into the mailbox or leave it out to get rain, snowed, wintry mixed on i couldn't wait to open it and wow it looks amazing while i did get to see some sneak peeks on the zoom calls it doesn't compare to the actual book and the signatures being in gold ink elegant both in color and penmanship i'm excited to dive in and start reading it (laughs) this leads me to a question about signatures You both have such beautiful and legible signatures, whereas I take after the other men in my family and have rather quick and unreadable squiggles that can hardly be considered a signature. A notary once criticized my squiggle and made me do a better job of signing a form. (laughs) Is there etiquette around what a signature should look like? Should I practice my signature more so that when I do need to sign things, it can have an air of elegance that's at least somewhat remotely related to both of yours? (laughs) Or am I free to just embrace the squiggle? Thank you for the years of enjoyment in listening to the podcast, to writing such a beautifully designed book that I can't wait to read, and for making signed copies of the book available. Sincerely, I'm not a doctor, but my signature (laughs) might suggest otherwise. I like that quite a bit. Well, I can, I'm not a doctor, but my signature might suggest otherwise. I can definitely sympathize with this. My official signature, which is my Elizabeth Audrey post signature, is completely illegible. <laughs> like, I, it's like not even there. And my sister used to make fun of me because my Lizzie post signature, often the S, if I go too quickly, looks like a second O. And so she jokingly teased me that I was Lizzie Poot. And that was just annoying. So I've had a lot of time to think about signatures. I think it it's so much about what you want it for and why. I didn't think terribly much about my signature until I realized I was going to be signing books as a part of my career. And then it became something I thought more about and I decided to get one that felt really comfortable to me. And even even that has changed over the years. But I think... Whatever comes naturally is probably a really good thing to go with. I have had that same 
moment with a notary, but it was it was actually someone at a bank. It wasn't a notary. It was somebody at a bank. And they got upset because my signature didn't match the signature on file at the bank, that it was different enough by the time, you know, I mean, I opened that account when I was probably like, you know, 15 years old after I got my first job. It, it was just not matching at that point. I will say my sister took actually quite a lot of time to come up with a signature that she really liked and felt comfortable writing that was easy for her to do. And it is elegant. And I do really like it. And so I think there's some benefit too if you would like a signature that you feel really great about to actually put a little effort into that and practice it and, and feel good about it. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't think that has to be like a stroke of vanity or anything like that. I think it's like, you know, this is your name. It's, it's worthwhile deciding how you want to present it just the same way you decide how you want to uh, say it to people, you know? I love that approach <clears throat> that in a lot of ways, a signature is a very personal thing. And mm -hmm. in deciding what's, what's good or appropriate for a signature, I think there are a lot of very personal choices involved in that. I was thinking about legally what do you need to get out of a signature? And I like the way you make that distinction a little bit, Lizzie Post. And in some ways, that consistency of delivery is almost more important than legibility when you're talking uh -huh. about a signature, because the version that's on file, the thing that the app on your phone is going to compare it to having a common elements is oftentimes what they're looking for to verify less than, okay, are there the right number of E's and A's and are the I's dotted and T's crossed? Right. And then there are doctors, and I think one of the reasons they're so legendary for their bad signatures is that half of their profession is signing off on paperwork and documents. So yeah. in their profession, it's really about the economy of the gesture and really being able to deliver that consistency, but be able to deliver it consistently quickly mm -hmm. That is that is at the premium and I think is sort of the, the excuse that probably they and everyone gives them around – the nature of that signature and why it's so famously not always readable. <laughs> I, I tell you, the other thing that just jumps into my mind when I think about the personal nature of a signature is the logo for the Emily Post Institute, which is we call it our signature logo because it's a signature of Emily Post's that yeah. Lizzie's father spent quite a bit of time capturing digitally, but he, he, he did it in a very, um, analog process, even though he was using computer programs to do it, he went in and, and remapped and drew over her signature so that it really retained the organic nature of her signing something. And that's become the logo that we use and love at the Emily Post yeah. Institute. So every day I look at an example of a signature that so beautifully did so many of the things that we're talking about that was personal, that was warm. It happened to be legible also, which is really yeah. useful for us. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. No, when I think about how that can communicate over time and even in the moment, I, I really like your suggestion, Lizzie, that if it's something that matters to you, if it's something you're thinking about, that just trying out some different things, practicing some different things, practicing what feels good, what comes naturally and what delivers a signature that that says and speaks to the things that you want it to say and speak to is hopefully a process that could be a little bit of fun. 
Dan, because I'm not a doctor, but my signature might suggest otherwise, let us know that they appreciated our signatures and the, the gold ink that we used. Oh, I do have talk to, about yeah, it. I yes. was going to say, I have to confess, the gold ink started with the higher etiquette book because there was this beautiful dark blue page in the book and signing on it with the gold ink just looked fabulous. I was really thrilled that the gold ink looks great on our signature page in Emily Post's etiquette, the centennial edition. But I've also got to suggest that when you're practicing your signature, when you're playing around with it, get a bunch of different pens. First of all, I'm a pen geek. Kelly Williams Brown and I are major pen geeks together. We like tell each other about our favorite pens when we find them. We're using a, a Uniball gold pen and it has a, oh, it doesn't have, I don't have, it's just called broad. It doesn't have an actual like you know, a 0.7 or something like that, or a 0.5 on it. But find pens that you like and practice your signature in, in different widths of, of pens. I forget what they, what they call the points, but different points, sizes, because it, it will vary. And also the fluidity of the pen will make a difference when ours start to run low. I hate it when I have to retrace it because the ink has like disappeared for a moment or something like that. But I love the fluidity of these pens. The Harry Potter geek in me loves them because it kind of looks like some kind of magic being written in the gold. <laughs> but truly get a bunch of different pens and practice signing with a bunch of different ones so that you can feel really confident that your signature will be consistent um, depending on the implement that you're using. So a final thought that I'll mention yeah. here is that when I started working at Emily Post and I did my first book signings and my first group book signings with you, Lizzie, and your sister – Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of signature envy going on. <laughs> I, I wasn't Anna's is enviable. <laughs> delighted with my signature. Yours has gotten quite good also, just so you know. <laughs> and I made an effort to try to change mine up a little bit to find a <laughs> signature that I thought looked a little better next to the signatures of my cousins and my aunts and uncles. And it was just an absolute disaster. It <laughs> didn't look right. It didn't look natural. And I ended up going back to the signature I've been signing with for as long as I can remember, since high school, since those early bank accounts, Lizzie Post. <laughs> and I, I made a little bit of an effort to find a version of it that I could deliver consistently and that I was happy with looking good enough. But I ended up settling for something that was a slight modification or version of the thing that came most naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And I think it works okay. I still like Lizzie Poe's signature better than mine. And <laughs> I also want to thank... I have signature envy to you. Because you I'm do not the a thing doctor, with the line underneath it. I love it. <laughs> well, I, isn't that always the case, right? I know, right? <laughs> um, signature envy. We each have it. <laughs> But I, I also wanted to acknowledge and, 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 and say to, I'm not a doctor, but my signature might suggest otherwise, that there's also probably a lot of versions sort of in between those two things that maybe yeah. play with what comes naturally to you, try slight modifications of it. Mm -hmm. But there is something very personal about a signature and where it comes from in you, mm -hmm. in your history, in your past, how it develops over time. And mm -hmm. enjoy that and enjoy honoring that part of you and that part of how you communicate. And I think you're going to come up with something that you really like. I'm not a doctor, but my signature might suggest otherwise. Thank you so much for purchasing a copy of the book. And thank you so much for writing in with your question. We certainly hope our answer helps. And smoke writing's got to be done right the first time. No erasing up here in the air. They've got to travel fast. Even a short word means a 15 to 20 mile trip. And it's nothing to turn around and go back two or three miles to cross your teeth. 
June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. You'll solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. So fun for Emily fans. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. And we know you all are very observant. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter uncovers a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. That sounds like so much fun. (laughs) You can customize your very own luxurious estate island, collect scraps of information to fill your photo album, and learn more about each character. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. For us, it's the mystery of the story that has us invested. And for me personally, it's the building of that luxurious estate island. I mean, come on, how fun is that? We are not going to give away any spoilers. You are going to have to try June's Journey for yourself. When you do, tell us all about your custom estate. Any Emily Post 1920s inspiration involved when you build yours? We sure hope so. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. It's a blast. And now back to our show. Our next question is titled Cabin Conundrum. Dear Awesome Etiquette, my friend's husband did some work for my father several years ago, and apparently the two men did not have a firm agreement ahead of time on what the payment would be. My friend's husband expressed the opinion that my father ought to have paid him more. In response, my father offered him and his wife the opportunity to stay at our family cabin, which was owned by my parents, for a week in order to compensate. They ended up only staying three days because something came up requiring them to cut their stay short. Both of my parents passed away last year. A month before my father died, he and my mother transferred ownership of the cabin to my brother, who, along with his wife and children, had already taken over the care and keeping of the cabin for a number of years, including maintaining the surrounding landscape and forest, the deck, siding, septic tank, and many other repair and maintenance tasks. They also bought beautiful new furnishings, appliances, and bedding, and added new construction. They poured a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and money into this cherished inheritance from my parents. The cabin now serves as a second home to my brother and his family. They spend a good deal of time here. He and my sister-in-law have chosen to only allow guests if they, their adult children, myself, or my daughter, in other words, the children and grandchildren of my parents, invite them and stay at the cabin with them. Furthermore, because the cabin is located in an area where there is a great risk of forest fire, the cost of insurance has skyrocketed and they cannot afford to insure the cabin. Accidents and damage are more likely to occur if one or more of us are not there to watch over things and the results could potentially be disastrous. My friend feels that because she and her husband never made it back up to the cabin to use their unused four days from that week my father had offered them several years ago, my brother and his wife now owe it to them to let them stay at the cabin alone for four days. What do you say? Thank you kindly in advance for your advice. Sincerely, Lori. 
This is a tough one, Dan. This is a tough one. Lori, thank you for the question. And we want to offer our condolences on the loss of your parents last year. And thank you for the clarity. I feel like you've mapped out the situation with enough detail that it's relatively easy to think about and think about what some possible courses of action might be here. And I I think in a lot of ways, this is, it's an etiquette question in that it will very much matter how you talk to your friend about this, how you engage with them and the type of language and the feeling that comes across. And at the same time, you're going to be communicating things that are going to be very practical things. They're going to be um, defined by decisions that are made within your family, and you're going to be communicating those to someone outside the family. I was thinking about one option being that you could offer to go with your friend and the husband, that if you were willing to take that on, if the new rules for the cabin are that there needs to be a family member host there to steward the the experience that that you could offer to play that role that would be one potential choice you could make mm-hmm. another would be to talk to your brother about making an exception in this mm-hmm. case and again that's a, a situation where the quality of that communication is going to be important i think doing it in person being prepared with a lot of the details that you included in your question to us would be really helpful for getting your brother to Think about it the way you might be thinking about it if you're making that request or giving him the opportunity to make the offer on his own. Mm-hmm. I would also be prepared if things like the insurance situation really make that something that they've got a hard line on, that you're prepared and ready to accept the no on that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that a third course of action could be that you could tell them that while you understand and appreciate the situation where this offer was initially made, that the conditions have changed materially and that it's just not possible for those other four days to be used at this time, that the ownership of the cabin has transitioned and that the insurance situation at the cabin has changed and that it's just not possible. And Mm -hmm. there is a certain reality to certain special offers having limitations, not just ones that happen with vague, ambiguous exchange of favors type agreements. But, Mm -hmm. you know, this offer has an expiration date on it. This, um, this receipt, this gift exchange can only happen for a certain amount of time. And Mm -hmm. that's a reality that, that might just be the situation that your friend has to deal with in this case. And it's not easy to deliver that news, but it's, it might be news that you're forced to deliver. Dan, I find this question really interesting because the value of the experience, it seems, has also gone up. Like we're we're talking about paying someone back for work that they had done. And and there is sort of a calculation within that that about a week at the cabin was gonna feel like a comfortable exchange. And now the person who set that up is is no longer with us. And the week that they had been that the couple had been given got interrupted and i think to me it sounds like there's a a generous will of well we'd still like to accommodate those four days in some way and i am noticing that like the the house has greatly improved in its condition since then (laughs) so it's like it's no longer maybe a a thousand dollar a week rental it's a five thousand dollar a week rental you know if you're really getting down to brass tacks but 
the crux for me is in the very last sentence here where it says the couple feels that my brother and his wife now owe it to them to let them stay at the cabin alone for four days. And that's the one that kind of makes it sticky for me. That's like, for all the rest of it, I I would probably just land in the category of saying, just let these people come and stay for four days, go stay with them since that's the new rule. And they're your friends. You know what I mean? And and have a great weekend to get like a long four day weekend up there together. Don't worry so much about it. But it's the fact that they want to do it alone, that they're kind of like sticking to this alone thing. At least I'm imagining they are. Maybe this is just Lori's Lori's language and, and not as much pressure coming from the couple. But I'm noticing that word alone. And that's what's breaking the new rule. And it's also you're trying to recoup something that a previous owner had extended. And I'm not so confident that the new owner really has to entertain a previous owner's negotiations that were uh, entertained, but then had to be uh, sort of interrupted because of the people who were receiving the mm-hmm. on, on the receiving end of the deal. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah. It's in some ways, I think this is a wash, and the other couple is like not in a good space asking for it. And at the other time, this is something that it's a family, so it's not just strange new owners who have no idea who these people are, and they're friends of of you know the owner's uh, sister. I think if I'm if, if is that the correct? Yeah, that's what it lineage? sounds like. Okay. And so there is sort of this like, eh, in order to keep the peace and to keep things really nice and to feel like you honored the work that this person did for your father, maybe you decide to just say, you know what, for these four days, as long as the owners of the cabin are okay with it, we're just going to go for it and let these people up here. They're trustworthy. We don't worry about them messing things up. They know how stuff works because they've been there before. I don't know. You might lean in the generous direction that way. I know other people have different perspectives, you know, going back to that, the house now isn't owned by the person who made the deal and that person is no longer with us and can't kind of help set something up. I see a lot of ways to work this well, and I, I also could see this getting really frustrating and uncomfortable if it's me, I think I'm going to talk, I'm going to do the second bullet point that you had there, which is to go talk to your brother and see if they're willing to make an exception. And if they're not willing to make an exception, then I would say, I think you have to deliver the tough line of, we really appreciate that you guys wanted to stay in the cabin alone. But as Dan had said previously, you know, due to the no longer having insurance at the cabin, due to the fact that the ownership has changed and that the cabin itself has changed, there's enough things that are different at this point that my brother who owns it, who I have to respect is really asking that one of the family members be at the house, you know, at the cabin with you. They're really happy to have you entertain the the rest of the offer that their father had given, but it's got to be within the new parameters. And we hope you'll understand. It's it's tough. You know, I don't know how the other people are going to react. They're clearly the kind of people who are coming back a few years later and asking to have this arrangement honored. And so you can tell that it's something that they would like to complete in order to feel like they were paid for the work that they had done under the agreement that had been previously in place. Again, if I'm going on a personal level, Dan, I'm saying let's go for it and just give it to them. Lizzie, thank you so much for actually taking a crack at a sample script. And 
your sample script sounded a lot like what I was imagining a combination of the different options that we outlined would sound like. That There's okay. probably a, a, a version of any of them that's going to require having talked to your brother, figuring out exactly what you can and can't offer, and then translating and communicating that to your friend and then following through on that. And I appreciate your instinct to try to figure out how to accommodate these friends, how to leave them feeling as good as possible if there isn't a cost that's too great to pay on your family's side of the equation. When it comes to questions of insurance and liability, it might be that there are some hard no's here. And if that's the case, I, I also like the language that you used where you explained that you talk to your brother and these are the new conditions and situations. And that while you appreciate where their ask is coming from, you hope that they can respect your answer due to the fact that situations have changed. And that is not always easy to do, but I think being clear about it, preparing yourself ahead of time and having that sample script can make it a lot easier. Dan, one final wrench to throw into this. Is it worth telling them that they need to deal with your brother directly? Like that that this isn't your, like it's not your decision and it wasn't your thing that came up and just kind of take yourself as the friend out of it because it's really between the owner of the house and the and the people who were told they could use the house. If there wasn't a history of friendship, yeah, I would okay. say yes, that that would be a, a course of action. But I think in the interest of preserving the friendship, that mm -hmm. staying involved is probably worthwhile. Lori, this is definitely a tough situation, but we hope our answer helps you explore a couple options and that everyone feels heard and considered in the situation. The days go by, and soon Taylor is felling trees from his own land for his own log cabin. During their stay at the fort, the Taylors share the cabin of the Carters, friends known in Virginia. Household tasks are likewise shared. This next question is about gift guilt. I read through all of the articles on gifting on your website, and I did not see anything about returning unexpected gifts. My children gave us a small anniversary party with immediate family. They forgot to say, no gifts please, on the invitation. We received money and gift cards that we cannot accept from such close family. Is it inappropriate to return the gifts with the thank you cards? Marlene. Marlene, this is a really interesting question. A couple sort of really etiquette points come to mind right off the bat, and that's that unless you had specifically not wanted gifts, it's it's actually okay. You don't have to put no gifts, please, on every invitation to kind of like an adult party. It's not necessary. And, and for something like an anniversary party, especially one that's small with immediate family, you certainly could put no gifts, please, but not putting it on there doesn't obligate people to bring a gift. Like there is no obligation that you created by not having that no gifts, please, on the invitation. To me, it sounds like this celebration inspired your close family to actually contribute and celebrate you with these gifts and with these things and that these were all things that they wanted to do. And so for me... I'm going, I, I wouldn't be returning the gifts. I think I would be sending the thank you note and accepting them. I can understand that not everybody feels comfortable accepting certain gifts. And you might have an insight as to why the particular things you received from particular people felt maybe like you had pressured them. 
and I, I want to leave room for that because Dan and I don't know the whole situation. But I think that from an etiquette perspective, I would say, and from an appropriateness perspective, I would say that as long as nothing's kind of going on in the background that we're not aware of, just accepting these gifts and saying thank you and really complimenting someone on their generosity and, and how how much the gift is meaningful, I think would be the right way to go. If it's the case where, no, you really did not want gifts, this this really does feel incredibly uncomfortable or you feel like people felt a lot of pressure to give you these items and maybe that was really pushing them in a way you didn't want to, I wouldn't go about returning the gift in a thank you note. I think that is going to send the wrong message. I think it will send a message of rejection. And I think that a conversation about how you had hoped it would say no gifts, please, it got left off and and you wanted to kind of give people the chance to not feel that pressure if you were thinking that they did. Um, that that's best done in a conversation, especially given that this is immediate family. I was having very similar thoughts and feelings as I read yeah. this question, Lizzie Post. It's such an okay, awkward good. situation when you receive a gift and for some reason you feel like you shouldn't or wouldn't want to accept it because mm-hmm. – I, like you, have a very strong etiquette idea in my mind that it's really important that we receive gifts well, that giving gifts makes people feel so good yeah. that rejecting a gift or turning a gift down or, or or refusing it are all things that can that can really feel like, re- like personal rejection to people. And mm-hmm. it's not that you're obligated to accept every gift. I was trying to think about the situations that are serious enough or rise to a level where it would be okay and, and and even appropriate and important not to receive a gift if you felt like someone was trying to leverage you in some way mm-hmm. or or put you in a position of indebtedness to them and their aims weren't good aims or if someone gives you a gift that's that's really inappropriate in some way that communicates yep. something that feels offensive or or belittling or degrading and and and, and again these are I'm, Those are big ones, yeah. <laughs> really extreme scenarios, but but they can exist, and, and and not every gift is given with good intention and a good heart. And but the ones that are like ones that come from close friends and family at something like an anniversary party, and I think you did a very good job of outlining that that invitation was not an ask for those gifts. I think that those gifts really came from a place of inspired, caring gift giving. The, the act of returning them is something that I, I think you want to take some care with. And like you, I was I was imagining something more than just a, a mention of it or a note on a card would feel more appropriate to me that, that you would want to talk to somebody about really caring about them and appreciating the the thought behind the gift, but that it's not necessary. It's really something that you wouldn't want to put them out and, mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever, it, whatever it is, that's the sentiment that makes you want them to not necessarily have given you those gifts. Dan, I like that you bring up that there are times where this would be a hundred percent appropriate. And in my mind, some of the questions we've answered on the show and in media interviews around that have been like, when a colleague who you are responsible for is like gifting up the ladder. We often talk about that you gift down the ladder, not up the ladder in business. We also sometimes talk about things like when a relationship is new 
and someone's gift feels like too big of a gesture to accept only a couple weeks into something that you're maybe unsure about. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like someone's giving you a diamond bracelet and you're, I don't know who's receiving these, but in my head, you know, um, someone's giving you like a diamond bracelet and this is like your fourth date and you don't live in a world where that is comfortable or normal or where that particular gift would create an imbalance or an expectation or just even feels uncomfortable because you, that's, that's an uncomfortable gift to receive. I think that it's, there are definitely times where the gift doesn't match the moment and it feels, it feels awkward in a way that you, your gut is telling you, I should say no to this. But I really appreciated, Dan, how you identified, um, as well that this is anniversary party with immediate family. And that even if the gifts are cash and gift cards, that for an anniversary, that's that's not particularly uncommon. It's not unheard of. And from close, immediate family, often those are the people that we say are are more likely to give a cash gift or something like that. And so I think it's it's worth at least putting out there that that this doesn't feel like those dating or business situations that have sort of a a clearer line of inappropriateness around the gift. The other thing I would mention that might be helpful for Marlene in thinking about ways that an unnecessary gift might still function in an important way in a relationship. I yeah. I think about the advice that I give young adults about maybe taking their parents out to dinner when they come home to visit that mm -hmm. it's not necessary. It might be true that the parent's earning potential is still much larger than what their son, daughter, or non-binary child is able to, to contribute or generate at that time, but mm -hmm. that it feels so good. It feels like part of playing an adult role in that relationship, that, that it becomes an important moment in, in the course of that relationship. It might be that there, there are some of that at play that the family want to honor you in, in a way that's a little different around an anniversary and that receiving that gift is allowing them to play that role and allowing them to step into that in a way that hopefully makes them feel good and maybe thinking of it from that perspective can make you feel good about it as well. The other thought I had that might help with receiving that gift is that you might use it in different ways. If yeah. you don't need the, the money or the gift card, maybe you could use it to Purchase something that everyone can use together. It could be a focus for some activities that you do together at some point in the future. Or maybe there's a, a charity or community group that you could make a donation in kind to and share that with your family, that you were able to do something like that with their gift and how good it made you feel and you hope it makes them feel good as well. While this can feel like a sticky situation, I don't think it needs to feel so sticky at all. The, my favorite etiquette problems are the ones that come from everybody trying to do the best possible thing for everyone else involved. I really don't think there is a bad outcome that can happen here, Marlene. I really hope that our answer helps. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
If you're enjoying Awesome Etiquette, and we certainly hope that you are, please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us over at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. Over there, you will get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, including live calls with Dan and myself. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you helped keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your continued support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Ray on throwing a new housewarming for someone who has lost their home. Dear Dan, Lizzie, and Awesome Etiquette crew, thanks so much for the way you help us to live well with one another. I was listening to episode 423 and was thrilled by the question about the housewarming slash shower. I've had the pleasure of being involved in a few similar parties. Here in the Midwest, these usually follow tornadoes or house fires. I have most often heard them called disaster relief showers. Often, but not always, there is a registry so gift givers can make sure they match the decor or preferences of the recipients, since it is often setting up housekeeping from zero. Wording can be as follows, and I'm just going to pre-say, this is fabulous wording, like this is a great invitation. You're invited to a disaster relief shower for Bob and Susie Smith. We're excited that Bob and Susie are ready to start moving into their new house, and we want to help them do it in style. As you can guess, they need just about everything. If you'd like some guidance, a list of their registries is enclosed. We hope you'll join us at location on date at time. <laughs> I've seen registries at general merchandise stores, hardware stores, garages get demolished too, and specialty stores, for example, kitchen tools or linens. The location is usually someone else's home, a church, or a community building. Warm regards, Ray. And I just got to say thank you, Ray, for this great piece of feedback. We had asked for anyone who has either attended or hosted some disaster relief showers for, for how they handle it. And this is just such a, a welcome contribution. Thank you so much, Ray. And I will second that. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next piece of feedback or update on our answer to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to return to the 2022 centennial edition of Emily Post's etiquette. And it's just impossible for Lizzie Post in particular to have been on the road for the last month talking about this book, reading from this book, engaging with the public about this book and not come home and bring a little bit of that back to the show. <laughs> Today's reading has to do with the practice of good etiquette. This reading can be found on page 12 of your new edition of Emily Post's Etiquette, the Centennial Edition. <laughs> or I should just say of your edition of Emily Post's Etiquette, the Centennial Edition. And what I actually really love about this particular section is that it helps us understand that etiquette isn't just something that you learn once and then know, that it's something you really put into practice and the work at, and that we are all human. And this is something that can help us direct our attention towards good behavior on a regular basis. The practice of good etiquette. Good etiquette always begins with awareness. 
Awareness of your impact on the world around you. Awareness of all the contributing factors in a situation. The people and things involved that could be affected. The traditions and cultures present. And how to take care with it all. With all the focus on others in etiquette, it's important to note that you matter too. You are an important part of the equation. While there may be many times when we will choose to do something that's best for others, even if it's not ideal for us, that doesn't mean we should disrespect ourselves. What may be reasonable and doable for one person may not be for another. When this happens, we must find an alternative solution that works best for everyone, including ourselves. When good etiquette is working well among a group of people, everyone will care both about others and themselves, something that can sometimes, it's true, require the sacrifice of certain impulses and desires. There will be times when we don't have the bandwidth or capacity to be our best selves. There will be other times when we will be amazed that we do. As we grow and mature, and yes, we can continue to grow and mature long after adolescence, we expand our ability to deal with problems big and small as they arise. Ideally, our capacity to be our best selves grows with experience. Etiquette isn't simply something you learn. It's a practice that you continually do. Simply knowing particular manners and principles doesn't make you a polite person. It's only by consistently using the manners and principles together that you become gracious and are recognized as such. Ultimately, it is in our explicit behavior with others, often through our manners, that people recognize the values and principles that motivate us. Our manners function like a shorthand expression of our values. When you are on time, for example, you demonstrate that you value respect and consideration and keeping your word, as well as other people's time. Learning and practicing these skills takes time. It is said that there are three steps to mastering a new skill. The first step is to learn what to do. The second step is to practice doing it until you get it right. And the third step is to repeat the action as often as needed until it becomes an ingrained habit. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. Repeating good behavior will help make it second nature to you and help you avoid making unintended or inconsiderate offenses, often the most common kind. So take heart and flex your good etiquette muscles. Practice, practice, practice on everyone you encounter and you'll help make the world a kinder place. Good pick, Lizzie Post. I really <laughs> like that little section. I do too. I think it helps really paint that picture that etiquette's not about constant self-sacrifice and being a doormat. It's not about pushing through and getting only your way. It's not about learning something from a book and then not really actually practicing it, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that it, and, and I, I really like the place where we talked about that there are times where our tolerance is maxed out, where we won't be our best selves and that we want to work through that, not consider it just a failure, you know, but we have ways of, of repairing damage that's been done when we haven't been our best self, but to really think about flexing that etiquette muscle on a regular basis to make it nice and strong. For me, Dan, when I'm out in the world, that's where I'm trying to think about it. 
when I'm at the grocery store, when, you know, I'm in an office waiting area for an appointment or something like that, when I'm driving on the road, these are great moments to flex an etiquette muscle and to, to keep it going strong and remember to kind of inject it into my, my daily routine. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a slide in our business etiquette deck. The title on the slide is Etiquette in Action. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the the manners in particular as examples of gratitude. And mm-hmm. this idea that etiquette is an action is something that's I'm really invested in. I care a lot about it. And so many people think, well, I know my etiquette or I, I understand right. my <laughs> etiquette. And that is that is awesome. That is good. That is a first step. But really excellent etiquette, gracious living and being perceived as someone who, who, who has that kind of poise and grace is dependent not on what you know, but on what you do and how you treat people. And the idea that that's the heart of etiquette is where those principles, values, and ideals become your behavior is to me a really significant thing. And I, I, I love the idea of the practice of etiquette, etiquette in action being where we keep our focus as much as possible. Thank you so much for an excellent reading and for representing this book so well. (laughs) My pleasure. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself, too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. We could listen in on Gene's thoughts, for example, but, well, you take it from here. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Elise. Hi there, Lizzie and Dan. I wanted to share a salute for my friend Abby. I'm so grateful for her friendship. I was due to have my baby in February, but ended up going to the hospital earlier in the week than planned, leaving our dog alone for much of the day. We asked if she could stop by to let him into our backyard and give him his dinner on her way home from work that evening. Within a few hours, I received a video (laughs) of her giving the dog a walk. (laughs) When I arrived home a few days later with a new baby, congratulations, (laughs) I realized she had also washed all of the dishes we had left in the sink that morning. A few weeks later, I ended up with our baby in the ICU due to an onset of a heart condition. And again, Abby came by our house, treated our dog with such love, washed all the dishes she saw. It seemed like such a simple thing, but it made such a difference. Best, Elise. P.S. Baby came home from the NICU one week later and is a thriving eight-month-old girl (laughs) named Jordan. Oh, wonderful. That's a good, I appreciate the P.S. to that story, Elise. And thank you so much for the salute. Abby, you are definitely an awesome friend awesome friend and neighbor thank you so much for this salute elise and thank you for listening today and thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on patreon please connect with us and share this show with your friends family and coworkers on social media or however you like to share podcasts we want to get the word out about awesome etiquette 
You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. This helps our show immensely in rankings, which will help more people find awesome etiquette. And hopefully you find more kind people in your life. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.